I'm so dizzy from all the theology, um, so I'm going to <clears throat> tell you a joke. Uh, there was a, a little old lady driving down 65 in, um, um, in Indiana, where I work, <clears throat> and uh, she's driving at 39 miles an hour. And the cop pulls her over and says, Madam, you know, there is a speed limit. She says, absolutely, I know that. Um, <clears throat> it's, uh, um, it's 39. And he goes, no, no, no. Um, that's Route 39. This is Route 65. By the way, why those two little old ladies in the back of your car look like they've just seen death warmed over? She says, oh, don't worry about them. We just got off Route 119. <laughs> But it's a point I'm trying to make that, <clears throat> what did she do wrong? She was mixing up the route for the speed. We all have a road map. Each of us carries our own ethnic road map, spiritual road map, personal road map. And the question is, how do we drive through it to get from the beginning of our lives till the end of our lives? What are the stories we live by? Um, <clears throat> we have a whole beautiful French menu of different religions today <clears throat> uh, providing you uh, choices. But the question is, what's your story? So I have to admit that I'm a bit of a heretic. <laughs> and I live on the knife edge between faith and doubt. I always have. I always will. And so <clears throat> um, on the one hand, I am soaked in my tradition. Um, I study a page of the Talmud every day. I teach a class every week. On the other hand, I'm really very naughty. And, um, and so, and it comes from <clears throat> uh, this lovely British tradition of skepticism. And um, the truth is, my father was a survivor and, and got out from Vienna in 39. The whole family was killed, so I don't have any family. Um, and my father was a real type, typical survivor. And so <clears throat> uh, the Holocaust and its meaning uh, and living in a first generation child of a survivor, which is, has its own syndrome, um, has, uh, you know, that's plagued me all my life. And so all the wonderful theology that was uh, given to me about, you know, theodicy and the problem of suffering and God's goodness, you know, it has to pass muster in Auschwitz or else it doesn't make sense. And when you have one and a half million babies killed in Europe and ongoing <clears throat> genocides since then, you know, we haven't learned our lesson all the way now to Darfur and, and whatever's going on in Afghanistan and 19-year-old uh, boy in Colorado playing a, a Game Boy and, and, and sending some drone and killing a a family, wedding family of 29, you know, yesterday's amnesty report, and, and it doesn't end. So the question is not about God for me. Uh, it's about <clears throat> what are the right questions that I need to be asking? And my life is about refining the questions that I need to ask about suffering. God? I don't know. I live in a post-Holocaust age. It's a nightmarish world of genocide. God? The Bible says itself, you mustn't take God's name in vain, which I say to mean, don't talk about him, don't theologize. There's no theology. What do you know about God? We don't know about God. We know nothing about, we can't even mention his name. 
we are not allowed to mention his name in the tradition. So let's put that aside and let's talk about refining our question. What is the best refined question you can ask about human suffering as it relates to your tradition? And with that, <clears throat> you know, I spend my life taking care of patients with chronic incurable disease. So my experience will be different to yours. And <clears throat> for me, I can have two patients come to me. <clears throat> They're both on Vicodin. They both have herniated discs or fibromyalgia or chronic migraines. And they suffer differently. The most important difference is poverty. So that if you are in the lowest economical class, and I take care mainly of the indigent, the level of suffering is 20 times more than a middle-class person who has family and resources. I don't have a patient under 30 who's actually married, but they all have two or three kids. And they're going to the grandparents and they're going to the ex and everyone's trying to juggle and they have two jobs. And, you know, and the, the suffering that comes along with that kind of poverty is, is completely different than a, the middle-class person who comes to me with resources and private insurance and, and goes to, you know, <clears throat> alternative care and gets a massage. It's just different. So th that's the first thing we have to see, the social circles. And I'm going to draw a bunch of circles around this suffering patient, okay, because that's my experience. The next comes the psychological, the history of abuse, the incidence of molestation in families and and, and family violence within families <clears throat> has an effect later on in life, which has given me this whole theory of incarnation of illness, meaning that the same patient, both age 35, one who's had a prior molestation, sexual abuse, physical abuse in the home, experiences the exact same pain, totally different than someone who just comes in and says, you know, I lifted something in the garden and now I've got a back pain. The spiritual. There is no question that someone who has the resources of their story, meaning they've bought into a myth to live by, whether it's Islamic, whether it's Buddhist, whether it's Christian, whether it's Catholic, whatever that story that they bring that affects their experience of pain and suffering. And so those who have a story, a myth to live by, experience pain in a different way to those who come in with no tradition whatsoever. And the same goes for the ethnic and the cultural. And finally, the largest circle, of course, is the fact that we all share in our humanity, so that my empathy for my patient is based on our co-humanity. So in that, in that sense, <clears throat> I am actually teaching my patients how to suffer well. And so I just wrote this up to explain how I feel about the negative side of life and the suffering. Now, I use the word incarnation in a very generic term. I do not mean it in a Catholic way. <clears throat> I mean that all human beings are incarnated with the divine because it said and I placed into him the spirit of life so when he did that to Adam that for me is incarnation so the spirit that you all feel as far as I'm concerned we are all incarnated in a generic sense so I don't mean to offend anyone by this 
In illness, the evil, the negative, the infective becomes incarnate in the flesh, in the body findings, its fulfillment in the fever, the suppuration, the herniated disc, the stroke, the Parkinson's, the dementia. In aging too, the decrepit and arthritic, the gnarled joints and deformities reflect the inevitable movement towards decay and death, atrophy and defilement. Satanic forces, chthonic forces slowly occupy the territory, once proud of its youthful vigor, as the singular expression common to myriads diseases, ailments and aging. As one feels this process going through the body daily, one must learn to accept the infirmity bit by bit, accepting the divine decree that man shall live, that immortal Adam shall be spared immediacy of the sentence but die slowly. The divine contains both light and dark, an antinomy of sephirotic incompatibilities uncanny, exasperating, but we are the bearers of this divine dark side, mostly in our suffering and broken lives, and in the aging body in illness. A spiritual opportunity, therefore, arises in dis-ease to come a little closer to this divine incarnation, sheltered as we are normally from the satanic mills, for we are able to manifest the divine's need in our bodies, in our degeneration, to express itself in the minor key, however. In accepting the dark side of spirituality and in the deep gnawing pain, in the refusal to be anesthetized for a moment longer, we find rest from the pious and the pompous theologies and holier-than-thou sermons from the naive emotional betrayal of wholeness for the naive good God. Finally, God will find a bit of rest from the projections of perfection we have hoisted on him for centuries, and thank us kindly for sharing in this deep, dark secret the wounding of his beloved, the petty hurts he and we share as we dig the knife ever so deeper into our loved ones, then awaken to see the damage. Finally, he will share what has been so long on his mind about the fateful historical decision to let Satan loose in a dangerous game that cost so many so much. Let the pain linger a little longer so that we can all come a little closer to this divine opening of the secret chest where all will be made understandable in fantasy and all will be justified in humor, even though both parties will be weeping tears that will cause a tsunami in the oceans. And in this meditation, what I'm trying to suggest <clears throat> is something that is common to all three major Western traditions, and that is the esoteric tradition. The, in, the, in the Islamic tradition, it would be the Sufi, like Rumi. In the Christian tradition, it would be Meister Eckhart. And in the Jewish tradition, it would be the Hasidic masters. In these traditions, which are really underground and really have been called heretic, we find that we as human beings carry divine pain in the sense that there is a dark side wherever there is a light side. And Jung, the great psychologist, uh, <clears throat> pupil of Freud, said that the entrance to the soul is through the wound. It is through the wound, very much like if you've ever been downtown 
to the Art Institute and you've seen Caravaggi's Doubting Thomas. St. Thomas is poking the wound of Jesus, looking for proof as to his death and resurrection. But of course, he becomes Thomas the believer. That is, there is a dark side to all of us which is mirrored above. That is the secret of the esoteric tradition. And we are the divine chariots. We are the ones that carry that darkness that needs to be expressed in human history. And therefore, for us, living to learn, learning to live well and suffer well means the ability to live by a myth that carries that darkness. Thank you. I think you'll agree we've had four incredible speakers. Um, these